0: Chapter 2 of The Mystery of Edwin Drood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Chant. The Mystery of Edwin Drood, the unfinished novel by Charles Dickens. Chapter 2 A Dean, and a chapter also. Whosoever has observed that sedate and clerical bird, the Rook, may perhaps have noticed that, when he wings his way homeward towards nightfall, in a sedate and clerical company, two Rooks will suddenly detach themselves from the rest, will retrace their flight for some distance, and will there poise and linger, conveying to mere men, the fancy that it is of some occult importance to the body-politic that this artful couple should pretend to have renounced connection with it. Similarly, service being over in the old cathedral with the square tower, and the choir scuffling out again, and divers venerable persons of rook-like aspect dispersing, Two of these latter retrace their steps and walk together in the echoing close. Not only is the day waning, but the year. The low sun is fiery, and yet cold behind the monastic ruin, and the Virginia creeper on the cathedral wall has showered half its deep red leaves down on the pavement. There has been rain this afternoon, and a wintry shudder goes among the little pools, on the cracked, uneven flagstones, and through the giant elm trees as they shed a gust of tears. Their fallen leaves lie strewn thickly about. Some of these leaves, in a timid rush, seek sanctuary within the low arched cathedral door, but two men coming out resist them, and cast them forth again with their feet. This done, one of the two locks the door with a goodly key and the other flits away with a folio music-book. Mr. Jasper was that, Tope? Yes, Mr. Dean. He has stayed late. Yes, Mr. Dean, I have stayed with him, Your Reverence. He has been took a little poorly. Say, taken, Tope, to the Dean. The younger rook interposes in a low tone with this touch of correction, as who should say, You may offer bad grammar to the laity, or the humbler clergy, not to the dean. Mr. Tope, chief verger and showman, and accustomed to be high with excursion parties, declines with a silent loftiness to perceive that any suggestion has been tendered to him. And when and how has Mr. Jasper been taken? For As Mr. Crisparkle has remarked, it is better to say taken. Taken, repeats the dean. When and how has Mr. Crisparkle been taken? Taken, sir, Tope differentially murmurs. Poorly, Tope. Why, sir, Mr. Jasper was that breathed. Uh, I wouldn't say that breathed, Tope. Mr. Sparkle interposes with the same touch as before. Not English. To the Dean. Breathed to that extent. The Dean, not unflattered by this indirect homage, Condescendingly remarks, Would be preferable. Mr. Jasper's breathing was so remarkably short. Thus discreetly does Mr. Tope work his way round this sunken rock when he came in that it distressed him mightily to get his notes out which was perhaps the cause of his having a kind of fit upon him after a little his memory grew dazed mr tope with his eyes on the reverend mr crisparkle shoots this word out as defying him to improve upon it and a dimness and giddiness crept over him as strange as ever i saw "'though he didn't seem to mind it particularly himself. "'However, a little time and a little water brought him out of his days.' "'Mr. Tope repeats the word and its emphasis, with the air of saying, "'As I have made a success, I'll make it again.' "'And Mr. Jasper has gone home quite himself, has he?' asked the Dean. Your Reverence, he has gone home quite himself, and I'm glad to see he's having his fire kindled up, for it's chilly after the wet, and a cathedral has both a damp feel and a damp touch this afternoon, and he was very shivery. They all three looked towards an old stone gatehouse crossing the close, with an arched thoroughfare passing beneath it. Through its latticed window, a fire shines out upon the fast-darkening scene, Involving in shadow the pendant masses of ivy and creeper covering the building's front. As the deep cathedral bell strikes the hour, A ripple of wind goes through these at a distance, Then a ripple of the solemn sound that hums through tomb and tower, Broken niche and defaced statue— in the pile close at hand. Is Mr Jasper's nephew with him? the Dean asks. No, sir, replied the verger, but expected. There's his own solitary shadow betwixt his two windows, the one looking this way, and the one looking down into the Ice Street, drawing his own curtains now. Well, well, says the dean, with a sprightly air of breaking up the little conference. I hope Mr. Jasper's heart may not be too much set upon his nephew. Our affections, however laudable in this transitory world, should never master us. We should guide them, guide them. I find I am not disagreeably reminded of my dinner by hearing my dinner-bell." perhaps mr crisparkle you will be for going home look in on jasper certainly mr dean and tell him that you have the kindness to desire to know how he was i do so do so certainly wished to know how he was by all means wished to know how he was with a pleasant air of patronage the dean as nearly cooks his quaint hat as a dean in good spirits may, and directs his comely gaiters towards the ruddy dining-room of the snug old red-brick house, where he is at present in residence with Mrs. Dean and Miss Dean. Mr. Crisparkle, minor canon, fair and rosy, and perpetually pitching himself head foremost into all the deep water running in the surrounding country, Mr. Chris Sparkle, minor canon, early riser, musical, classical, cheerful, kind, good-natured, social-contented, and boy-like. Mr. Chris Sparkle, minor canon and good man, lately coach upon the chief pagan high-roads, but since promoted by a patron, grateful for a well-taught son, to his present Christian beat, betakes himself to the gatehouse on his way home to his early tea. "'Sorry to hear from Tope that you have not been well, Jasper.' "'Oh, it was nothing, nothing. You look a little worn. Do I? Oh, I don't think so. What is better, I don't feel so. Tope has made too much of it, I suspect. It's his trade to make the most of everything appertaining to the cathedral, you know.' "'I may tell the dean. I call expressly from the Dean, that you are all right again?" The reply with a slight smile is, "'Certainly, with my respects and thanks to the Dean.' "'I am glad to hear that you expect young Drood.' I expect the dear fellow every moment. Ah! he will do you more good than a doctor, Jasper! More good than a dozen doctors! for I love him dearly, and I don't love doctors, or doctor's stuff. Mr. Jasper is a dark man of some six-and-twenty, with thick, lustrous, well-arranged black hair and whiskers. He looks older than he is, as dark men often do. His voice is deep and good, his face and figure are good, his manner is a little sombre. His room is a little sombre, and may have had its influence in forming his manner. It is mostly in shadow. Even when the sun shines brilliantly, it seldom touches the grand piano in the recess, or the folio music-books on the stand, or the bookshelves on the wall, or the unfinished picture of a blooming schoolgirl hanging over the chimney-piece, her flowing brown hair tied with a blue riband, and her beauty remarkable for a quite childish almost babyish touch of saucy discontent comically conscious of itself there is not the least artistic merit in this picture which is a mere daub but it is clear that the painter has made it humorously one might almost say revengefully like the original we shall miss you jasper At the alternate musical Wednesdays, to-night, But no doubt you are best at home. Good-night. God bless you. Tell me, shepherds, tell me, tell me, Have you seen, have you seen, have you seen, Have you seen my flora pass this way? Melodiously good minor canon, the Reverend Septimus Crisparkle thus delivers himself in musical rhythm as he withdraws his amiable face from the doorway and conveys it downstairs. Sounds of recognition and greeting pass between the Reverend Septimus and somebody else at the stairfoot. Mr. Jasper listens, starts from his chair, and catches a young fellow in his arms, exclaiming, My dear Edwin! my dear jack so glad to see you get off your great-coat bright boy and sit down here in your own corner your feet are not wet pull your boots off do pull your boots off my dear jack i am as dry as a bone don't moddily coddly. there's a good fellow i like anything better than being moddily coddled with the check upon him of being unsympathetically restrained in a genial outburst of enthusiasm Mr. Jasper stands still, and looks on intently at the young fellow, divesting himself of his outward coat, hat, gloves, and so forth. Once for all, a look of intentness and intensity, a look of hungry, exacting, watchful, and yet devoted affection, is always now and ever afterwards, on the jasper face, whenever the jasper face is addressed in this direction. And whenever it is so addressed, it is never, on this occasion or on any other, dividedly addressed. It is always concentrated. "'Now I am right, and now I'll take my corner, Jack. Any dinner, Jack?' Mr. Jasper opens a door at the upper end of the room, and discloses a small inner room, pleasantly lighted and prepared, wherein a comely dame is in the act of setting dishes on table. "'What a jolly old Jack it is!' cries the young fellow, with a clap of his hands. "'Look here, Jack, tell me, whose birthday is it?' "'Not yours, I know.' Mr. Jasper answers, pausing to continue. Not mine, you know! No, not mine! I know! Pussies! Fixed as the look the young fellow meets is, there is yet in it some strange power of suddenly including the sketch over the chimney-piece. Pussies, Jack! We must drink many happy returns to her. Come, uncle, take your dutiful and sharp-set nephew in to dinner. As the boy, for he is little more, lays a hand on Jasper's shoulder, Jasper cordially and gaily lays a hand on his shoulder, and so, marseillet-wise, they go in to dinner. "'And, Lord, here's Mrs. Tope!' cries the boy, "'lovelier than ever!' "'Never you mind me, Master Edwin,' retorts the verger's wife. "'I can take care of myself!' you can't you're much too handsome give me a kiss because it's pussy's birthday i'll pussy you young man if i was pussy as you call her mrs tope blushingly retorts after being saluted your uncle's much too wrapped up in you that's where it is "'He makes so much of you that it's my opinion "'you think you've only to call your pussies by the dozen to make em come.' "'You forget, Mrs. Tope,' Mr. Jasper interposes, "'taking his place at the table with a genial smile. "'And so do you, Ned, that uncle and nephew "'are words prohibited here by common consent and express agreement.' For what we are about to receive. His holy name be praised. Done like the Dean! Witness, Edwin Drood! Please to carve, Jack, for I can't. This sally ushers in the dinner. Little to the present purpose, or to any purpose, is said while it is in the course of being disposed of. At length the cloth is drawn, and a dish of walnuts. "'and a decanter of rich-coloured sherry are placed upon the table. "'I say, tell me, Jack,' the young fellow then flows on, "'do you really and truly feel as if the mention of our relationship divided us at all? "'I don't.' "'Uncles, as a rule, Ned, are so much older than their nephews,' is the reply, "'that I have that feeling instinctively.' "'As a rule, are may be. "'But what is the difference in age of half a dozen years or so? "'And some uncles in large families are even younger than their nephews. "'By George, I wish it was the case with us.' "'Why?' "'Because if it was, I'd take the lead with you, Jack, "'and be as wise as begondal care that turned a young man grey, "'and begondal care that turned an old man to clay.' Halloa! jack don't drink why not asks why not on pussy's birthday and no happy returns proposed pussy jack and many of them. happy returns i mean laying an affectionate and laughing touch on the boy's extended hand as if they were at once his giddy head and his light heart mr jasper drinks the toast in silence Hip, 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 and nine times nine, and one to finish with, and all that understood. Hooray, hooray, hooray! And now, Jack, let's have a little talk about Pussy. Two pairs of nutcrackers, pass me one, and take the other. Crack! How's Pussy getting on, Jack? With her music, fairly. "'What a dreadfully conscientious fellow you are, Jack! "'But I know, Lord bless you, inattentive, isn't she?' "'She can learn anything, if she will.' "'If she will! "'Egad, that's it! "'But if she won't—' "'Crack on Mr. Jasper's part. "'How's she looking, Jack?' Mr. Jasper's concentrated face again includes the portrait, as he returns— Very like your sketch, indeed. I am a little proud of it, says the young fellow, glancing up at the sketch with complacency, and then shutting one eye, and taking a corrected prospect of it over a level bridge of nutcrackers in the air. Not badly hit off from memory, but I ought to have caught that expression pretty well, for I have seen it often enough. CRACK ON EDWIN DROOD'S PART CRACK ON MR JASPER'S PART In point of fact, the former resumes, after some silent dipping among the fragments of walnut with an air of pique, I see it whenever I go to see Pussy. If I don't find it on her face, I leave it there. You know I do, Miss Scornful (laughs) Pert. with a twirl of the nutcrackers at the portrait. CRACK 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 Slowly on Mr. Jasper's part CRACK Sharply on the part of Edwin Drood Silence on both sides. Have you lost your tongue, Jack? "'Have you found yours, Ned?' "'No, but really, it isn't, you know. After all—' Mr. Jasper lifts his dark eyebrows inquiringly. "'Isn't it unsatisfactory to be cut off from choice in such a matter? "'There, Jack, I'll tell you. If I could choose, "'I would choose pussy from all the pretty girls in the world.' "'But you have not got to choose. "'That's what I complain of. "'My dead-and-gone father "'and pussy's dead-and-gone father "'must needs marry us together by anticipation. "'Why, the— "'Devil, I was going to say, "'if it had been respectful to their memory, "'couldn't they leave us alone? "'Tut-tut, dear boy,' "'Mr Jasper remonstrates "'in a tone of gentle depreciation. "'Tut-tut!' "'Yes, Jack, it's all very well for you. "'You can take it easily. "'Your life is not laid down to scale and lined and dotted out for you "'like a surveyor's plan. "'You have no uncomfortable suspicion that you are forced upon anybody, "'nor has anybody an uncomfortable suspicion that she is forced upon you, "'or that you are forced upon her. "'You can choose for yourself. "'Life for you is a plum with a natural bloom on it.' "'It hasn't been over-carefully wiped off for you.' "'Don't stop, dear fellow. Go on.' "'Can I anyhow have hurt your feelings, Jack?' "'How can you have hurt my feelings?' "'Good heaven, Jack, you look frightfully ill. "'There's a strange film come over your eyes.' Mr Jasper, with a forced smile, stretches out his right hand as if at once to disarm apprehension and gain time to get better. After a while he says faintly, I have been taking opium for a pain, an agony that sometimes overcomes me. The effects of the medicine steal over me like a blight or a cloud, and pass. You see them in the act of passing— They will be gone directly. Look away from me. They will go all the sooner. With a scared face the younger man complies by casting his eyes downward at the ashes on the hearth. Not relaxing his own gaze on the fire, but rather strengthening it with a fierce firm grip upon his elbow-chair, the elder sits for a few moments rigid, and then, with thick drops standing on his forehead, and a sharp catch of his breath becomes as he was before. On his so subsiding in his chair, his nephew gently and assiduously tends him while he quite recovers. When Jasper is restored, he lays a tender hand upon his nephew's shoulder, and, in a tone of voice less troubled than the purport of his words, Indeed, with something of raillery or banter in it, thus addresses him. There is said to be a hidden skeleton in every house. But you thought there was none in mine, dear Ned. Upon my life, Jack, I did think so. However, when I come to consider that even in Pussy's house, if she had one, and in mine, if I had one, you were going to say, but that I interrupted you in spite of myself. What a quiet life mine is! No whirl and uproar around me, no distracting commerce or calculation, no risk, no change of place. Myself devoted to the art I pursue, my business, my pleasure— I really was going to say something of the kind, Jack, but you see you, speaking of yourself, almost necessarily leave out much that I should have put in. For instance, I should have put in the foreground your being so much respected as lay-presenter or or lay-clerk or whatever you call it of this cathedral. Your enjoying the reputation of having done such wonders with the choir. You're choosing your society— And holding such an independent position In this queer old place. Your gift of teaching! Why, even pussy you don't like being taught Says there never was such a master as you are. And your connection? Yes, I saw what you were tending to. I hate it. Hate it, Jack? Much bewildered. I hate it. THE CRAMPED MONOTONY OF MY EXISTENCE GRINDS ME AWAY BY THE GRAIN. HOW DOES OUR SERVICE SOUND TO YOU? BEAUTIFUL, QUITE CELESTIAL. IT OFTEN SOUNDS TO ME QUITE devilish. I AM SO WEARY OF IT. THE ECHOES OF MY OWN VOICE AMONG THE ARCHES SEEM TO MOCK ME WITH MY DAILY DRUDGING ROUND. No wretched monk who droned his life away in that gloomy place before me can have been more tired of it than I am. He could take for relief, and did take, to carving demons out of the stools and seats and desks. What shall I do? Must I take to carving them out of my heart? I thought— You had so exactly found your niche in life, Jack. Edwin Drood returns, astonished, bending forward in his chair to lay a sympathetic hand on Jasper's knee, and looking at him with an anxious face. I know you thought so. They all think so. Well, I suppose they do, says Edwin, meditating aloud. Pussy thinks so. When did she tell you that? The last time I was here. You remember when? Three months ago. How did she phrase it? Oh, she only said that she had become your pupil and that you were made for your vocation. The younger man glances at the portrait. The elder sees it in him. Anyhow, my dear Ned, Jasper resumes as he shakes his head with a grave cheerfulness, I MUST SUBDUE MYSELF TO MY VOCATION, WHICH IS MUCH THE SAME THING OUTWARDLY. IT'S TOO LATE TO FIND ANOTHER NOW. THIS IS A CONFIDENCE BETWEEN US. IT SHALL BE SACREDLY PRESERVED, JACK. I HAVE REPOSED IT IN YOU, BECAUSE I FEEL IT, I ASSURE YOU, BECAUSE WE ARE FAST FRIENDS, AND BECAUSE YOU LOVE AND TRUST ME AS I LOVE AND TRUST YOU. BOTH HANDS, JACK. As each stands, looking into the other's eyes, and as the uncle holds the nephew's hands, the uncle thus proceeds. You know now, don't you, that even a poor monotonous chorister and grinder of music in his niche may be troubled by some stray sort of ambition, aspiration, restlessness, dissatisfaction, what what shall we call it? Yes, dear Jack? And you will remember? My dear Jack, I only ask you, am I likely to forget what you've said with so much feeling? Take it as a warning, then. In the act of having his hands released, and of moving a step back, Edwin pauses for an instant to consider the application of these last words the instant over, he says, sensibly touched. "'I am afraid I am but a shallow-surface kind of fellow, Jack, and that my headpiece is none of the best. But I needn't say. I am young, and perhaps I shall not grow worse as I grow older. At all events, I hope I have something impressible within me, which feels—' deeply feels, the disinterestedness of your painfully laying your inner self bare as a warning to me. Mr. Jasper's steadiness of face and figure becomes so marvellous that his breathing seems to have stopped. I couldn't fail to notice, Jack, that it cost you a great effort, and that you were so very much moved, and very unlike your usual self. Of course, I knew that you were extremely fond of me, but I really was not prepared for your, as I may say, sacrificing yourself to me in that way. Mr. Jasper, becoming a breathing man again, without the smallest stage of transition between the two extreme states, lifts his shoulders, laughs, and waves his right arm. No!— Don't put the sentiment away, Jack, please don't, for I am very much in earnest. I have no doubt that unhealthy state of mind which you have so powerfully described is attended with some real suffering, and is hard to bear. But let me assure you, Jack, as to the chances of it overcoming me, I don't think I am in the way of it. In some few months less than another year, you know, I shall carry pussy off from school as Mrs. Edwin Drood i shall then go engineering into the east and pussy with me and although we have our little tiffs now arising out of a certain unavoidable flatness that attends our love-making owing to its end being all settled beforehand still i have no doubt of our getting on capitally then when it's done and can't be helped in short jack to go back to the old song i was freely quoting at dinner and who knows old songs better than you "'My wife shall dance, and I will sing, so merrily past the day. "'Of pussies being beautiful, there cannot be a doubt. "'And when you are good besides, little Miss Impertinence,' "'once more apostrophising the portrait, "'I'll burn your comic likeness, and paint your music-master another.' "'Mr. Jasper, with his head to his chin,' and with an expression of musing benevolence on his face, has attentively watched every animated look and gesture attending the delivery of these words. He remains in that attitude after they are spoken, as if in a kind of fascination, attendant on his strong interest in the youthful spirit that he loves so well. Then he says with a quiet smile, "'You won't be warned, then?' "'No, Jack.' "'You can't be warned, then?' "'No, Jack, not by you. "'Besides that I don't really consider myself in danger. "'I don't like you putting yourself in that position.' "'Shall we go and walk in the churchyard?' "'By all means. "'You won't mind my slipping out of it for half a moment to the nun's house "'and leaving a parcel there?' "'Only gloves for a pussy, as many pairs of gloves as she is years old to-day. "'Rather poetical, Jack!' Mr. Jasper, still in the same attitude, murmurs, "'Nothing half so sweet in life, Ned. "'Here's the parcel in my greatcoat pocket "'They must be presented to-night, or the poetry is gone. "'It's against regulations for me to call at night, but not to leave a packet.' I AM READY, JACK. Mr. Jasper dissolves his attitude, and they go out together. END OF CHAPTER 2 READ BY ALAN CHANT OF TUMBRIDGE, KENT, ENGLAND DURING THE SUMMER OF 2007